Please stand by. We're about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Agilent Technologies Q4 2023 Earnings Conference Call. My name is Bo, and I will be coordinating your call today. If you would like to ask a question following the presentation, you may do so by pressing star 1 on your telephone. I will now hand you over to your host, Parmeet Ahuja, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Bo, and welcome everyone to Agilent's conference call for the fourth quarter of fiscal year 2023. With me are Mike McMullen, Agilent President and CEO, and Bob McMahon, Agilent Senior Vice President and CFO. This presentation is being webcast live. The news release for our fourth quarter financial results, investor presentation, and information to supplement today's discussion, along with the recording of this webcast, are available on our website at www.investor.agilent.com. Today's comments by Mike and Bob will refer to non-GAAP financial measures. You'll find the most directly comparable GAAP financial metrics and reconciliations on our website. Unless otherwise noted, all references to increases or decreases in financial metrics are year over year, and references to revenue growth are on a core basis. Core revenue growth excludes the impact of currency and any acquisitions and divestitures completed within the past 12 months. Guidance is based on forecasted exchange rates. We will also make forward-looking statements about the financial performance of the company. These statements are subject to risk and uncertainties and are only valid as of today. The company assumes no obligation to update them. Please look at the company's recent SEC filings for a more complete picture of our risk and other factors. And now, I'd like to turn the call over to Mike. Thanks, Parmeet, and thanks everyone for joining our call today. Before we get into discussing our results and outlook, I want to mention that we're joined today by Pura McDonald, President of the Agilent Cross Lab Group, and Sam Raha, President of the Agilent Diagnostics and Genomics Group. We're also joining this call for the first time by Phil Bins, President of the Agilent Life Science and Applied Markets Group. Phil's name may be new to some of you, but he's well known at Agilent and in the industry. Phil has been with us for more than 13 years coming over with the variant acquisition and overseeing our market-leading spectroscopy business. We're extremely pleased to have some of Phil's knowledge, experience, and proven leadership strength heading up our LSAG business. In his short time in the role, we've already seen Phil add tremendous value as a member of our senior leadership team. Welcome, Phil. Now, on to our fourth quarter results. The Agile team once again continued to perform well under challenging market conditions. Revenue of $1.69 billion declined 9.7% core after increasing 17.5% last year. This is at the high end of our guidance. Our proactive approach to manage our cost structure in this market environment helped us deliver healthy fourth quarter operating margins of 27.8%. Q4 earnings per share of $1.38 exceeded our guidance. While this was a decline of 10%, it comes against a tough compare last year when EPS grew 26%. While the market continues to be challenging, we believe we're starting to see signs of stabilization. As an encouraging data point for the quarter, our book-to-bill ratio is one for the company and greater than one for our LSAG instruments. Let's now take a close look at our Q4 performance, starting with our regional results. During the quarter, 
while down year on year, we deliver sequential growth except for China as expected. In China, our business declined 31% year on year after growing 44% of Q4 last year. While China was down sequentially, these results are very much in line with our expectations. And the year-on-year monthly performance improved slightly as the quarter progressed. In addition, orders were slightly higher than revenue for the quarter. While it is too early to call these two data points a trend, we see this as a current sign of potential stabilization. In late September, I traveled to China for the first time since the COVID outbreak to meet with the Aslan team, key customers and government officials. I was reminded of both the sheer size of the Chinese economy and our market there. I saw firsthand the work being done to bolster economic activity in the near term and create an environment that will support continued growth into the future. I remain convinced China will continue to play an important role in life sciences, and I'm confident that the China market will return to growth. In looking at the largest end market, pharma declined 14%, driven by continued caution among customers on capital expenditures for new instruments. Within pharma, biopharma performed better than small molecule. Geographically, our biopharma business outside China grew high single digits. Looking at our performance by business unit, the Life Science and Applied Markets Group delivered revenue of $928 million, down 18% core versus a tough compare last year of up 22%. Customers continue to hold off on capital expenditures, particularly in the pharma segment of LSAG's business, which declined in the high 20% range. This is against growth in the low 20s last year. On the other hand, we continue to see strong customer demand and growth in our PFAS solutions, as well as continued strength in the advanced materials segment. These are two secular trends we've highlighted before, and we remain optimistic about future growth in these market segments. While the market environment remains challenged, we continue to innovate and provide unique solutions for our customers. The new products we launched in June at ASMS, in particular, the 6595 LC Triple Quad, which is focused on key applications like PFAS, continue to generate positive customer interest and new orders. We're also bringing innovative new solutions for customers across the biopharma value chain. We just saw a number of our online UH PLC systems with large biopharma companies. The systems are easy to use, reliable, and deliver significant value by providing fully automated analysis of critical quality attributes and allowing real-time decision-making outside the lab. The Azure Cross-Side Group posted revenue of $404 million, a 4% core and 6% on a reported basis. ACG delivered growth across all end markets and in all regions except China. The contract services business was up double digits, offset by the services associated with new instrument placements. Our strategy of increasing the connect rate continues to pay off. In the quarter, the contract services business represented 65% of ACG revenue, a number that has grown nicely over the years. The Diagnostic Genomics Group delivered revenue of $356 million, flat on a core basis and up 1% reported. DGG's results led by the pathology and NASD businesses, which both delivered low double-digit growth. These strong results were offset by the continued market challenge in genomics in both consumables and instruments. Our NASD portfolio and capacity expansion are continuing as planned. We're confident in the long-term growth prospects for the markets we serve. Before I finish covering DGG, 
I want to thank Sam Raha for his contributions over the years that have helped us to build a strong foundation for the DGG business. I wish Sam well. In addition to these business group highlights during the quarter, we will recognize for our commitment to sustainability. As of the year, long-term targets for reaching net zero greenhouse gas emissions have been approved by the highly regarded Science-Based Targets Initiative. A year ago, we entered 2023 sharing a view of economic and industry uncertainty as we got it from moderating growth in the second half of 2023. We had not anticipated, however, the significance of the market headwinds the industry eventually faced, particularly in the pharma market in China. Despite the challenging market conditions, we delivered full-year revenue of $6.83 billion, growing 1.5% core. While our four-year growth was lower than initially expected, we met or exceeded every quarterly guidance range we provided, a solid testament to the team's execution ability. Including FY23 results, our four-year compound annual growth rate is 7%. This is at the high end of our long-term growth guidance. In FY23, we delivered operating margins of 27.4%. This is up 30 basis points this year and up more than 400 basis points in the last four years. Earnings per share of $5.44 were up 4%, delivering leverage earnings growth for the year. Our four-year compound annual growth rate for EPS is 15%. Looking back, 2023 was a challenging year. What I'm particularly proud of is the Agilent team's ability to quickly pivot and take action to address these challenges while staying relentlessly focused on our customers. While we work to significantly reduce expenses, Aslan's customer satisfaction ratings remain at all-time highs. At the same time, our employee engagement continues to be excellent as we achieved a number of best employer awards over the last year. All this helped us deliver another year of leverage earnings in an extremely difficult market environment. Before turning it over to Bob for more details, I want to provide some high-level perspective on FY24 and beyond. For 2024, we anticipate a slow but steady recovery throughout the year. In our initial outlook, at the height of our guidance, we expect revenues to return to growth. At the same time, our range for EPS in the year ahead has us again delivering leveraged EPS growth. As we look ahead, we remain convinced the market challenges being faced by the industry today are transient. Our end markets are powered by investments in improving the human condition. The pace of science, innovation, and discovery continues to increase, which will fuel further growth. We remain focused on winning in the marketplace, our differentiated products, services, and most importantly, our One Ashland team are all essential to the success of our customers. We are well positioned for long-term growth. Bob will now share more detail on the quarter in the year, along with more specifics on our initial view for fiscal 2024 and Q1. Thank you for joining us today. And now, Bob, over to you. Thanks, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. In my remarks today, I'll provide some additional details on revenue in the quarter and the year, as well as take you through the income statement and other key financial metrics. I'll then finish up with our guidance for fiscal year 2024 and the first quarter. Unless otherwise noted, my remarks will focus on non-GAAP results. Agilent finished the fourth quarter with core growth at the top end of guidance and EPS exceeding our expectations, 
as we executed well against challenging macroeconomic conditions. Q4 revenue was $1.69 billion, down 9.7% core and 8.7% on a reported basis. This is after growing 17.5% in Q4 of last year, when we benefited from the recovery from the Shanghai shutdown in Q2 of last year. This created an estimated one point of headwind in the year-on-year results this quarter. As expected, we saw weakness in capital purchases in LSAG with the biggest impact in our China business. Now I'd like to share additional detail on our end markets for the quarter. Revenue in our largest market, Pharma, declined 14% versus 20% growth in Q4 of last year. Biopharma declined 2%, while small molecule was down 23%. However, Biopharma X China was up 7% in the quarter and grew solidly for the year. And while small molecule was down, the decline was most pronounced in China. On outside China, small molecule was up sequentially in the quarter. Chemicals and advanced materials declined 11% versus growth of 27% last year, while flat sequentially. Our chemicals and energy subsegments were down 15%, while advanced materials were down roughly 2% globally and up 4% in the Americas and Europe combined. The food market was down low double digits against a tough 20% growth comparison last year. High single-digit growth in the Americas was offset by declines in all other regions. In the Americas, PFAS testing is emerging as an important growth area in food testing, helping drive the high single-digit growth. We expect testing for PFAS chemicals will continue to be a growth driver across multiple end markets over time. The environmental and forensics market declined 3% versus 18% growth last year. Similar to the food market, the Americas region continues to experience strong growth, up double digits driven by PFAS. This strong performance was primarily offset by softness in China, which was down year on year, but up slightly on a sequential basis. Our business in the diagnostics and clinical market declined 4%. While we delivered low double-digit growth in our pathology-related businesses, it was more than offset by continued weakness in genomics. The academia and government market was down low single digits with strength in the Americas, driven by government funding, offset by weakness in China and Europe. Results were pressured across all geographies in the quarter. As Mike mentioned, China was down 31% year-on-year after growing 44% in Q4 of last year, in line with our expectations coming into the quarter. The rest of Asia was down mid-single digits and both Americas and Europe declined low single digits in the quarter. Before turning to the rest of the P&L, I'd like to quickly summarize some full-year highlights by end market and geography. From an end market perspective, all markets grew low to mid single digits for the year except for pharma, which was down 2% globally. And in addition, all geographies grew except China, which was down 5%. Now back to the P&L for the quarter. Despite the revenue declines, our team continues to execute at a very high level. Fourth quarter gross margin was 55.8%, and our operating margin was a healthy 27.8% in Q4, which was slightly better than our internal expectations. Below the line 
we benefited from stronger than expected cash flow, generating incremental interest income in the quarter. Our tax rate was 13.75%, and we had 293 million diluted shares outstanding, both as expected. Putting it all together, earnings per share were $1.38 for the quarter, exceeding our expectations, albeit down 10% from a year ago when EPS grew 26%. As Mike mentioned, our Q4 results capped a year where we grew 1.5% or on the top line, increased operating margins by 30 basis points, and grew EPS by 4% while overcoming a couple of points of currency headwinds. This is a real statement on the team's ability to quickly adapt to market changes while still delivering leveraged earnings growth. Turning to cash flow and the balance sheet, I'm incredibly proud of the Agilent team as Q4 continued a string of very strong quarterly cash flow results. In Q4, we generated operating cash flow of $516 million, well over 100% of adjusted net income, and invested $84 million in capital expenditures. CapEx spending is driven by our ongoing NASD capacity expansion, which remains on track. For the year, we delivered $1.5 billion in free cash flow, an increase of 44% over last year. Our balance sheet continues to remain healthy as we end the fiscal year with a net leverage ratio of 0.6 times. With the current challenges in the market, it is great to be a company with a fortress balance sheet and strong cash flow. In the quarter, we paid out $66 million in dividends and spent $80 million to repurchase shares. And for the year, we returned $840 million to shareholders through $265 million in dividends and $575 million in share repurchases. Looking forward, you may have also seen that we recently announced a 5% increase in our quarterly dividend providing another source of value to our shareholders. It's worth noting that we've increased our dividend every year since we first began issuing them in 2012. Now let's move on to our outlook for the upcoming fiscal year and first quarter. As Mike stated, we expect to see a slow but steady recovery throughout fiscal 2024. However, we also acknowledge the continued market uncertainty, high interest rates, volatile exchange rates, and depressed capital spending. Like several of our peers, we expect the markets to be down slightly for the year while we expect to perform better. Given the expected slower market conditions, we've taken additional steps to adjust our cost structure. Incorporated into our guidance is roughly $175 million of cost savings. Given the significance, I want to provide a little more detail on these actions. Roughly 30% of the savings are related to portfolio optimization decisions we've taken in DGG, the largest of which was the exit of the Resolution Biosciences business. Another 25% is related to material and logistics cost savings, as well as optimizing our real estate footprint, with the remaining savings tied to continued reductions in discretionary spend and optimizing our workforce. Along with these actions, we've taken a $46 million charge for restructuring and other related costs in our Q4 GAAP results. These reductions, while difficult, are necessary to ensure we continue to fund our most critical investments, as well as fund the variable compensation resets from this year. These actions help ensure the company delivers leverage earnings growth in FY24 
and will enable us to emerge even stronger when our markets inevitably return to their long-term growth rates. As Mike noted earlier, we exited Q4 with some potential signs of stabilization, with a book-to-bill ratio of one for the company and greater than one for LSAG instruments. While this is positive, we're going to be prudent in our initial guidance. For the full year guide, we expect revenue in the range of $6.71 to $6.81 billion. This represents a core growth range from a slight decline of 0.5% at the low end to one point of growth at the high end. Currency is a headwind of 1.2 points, while M&A is also a slight headwind of 10 basis points related to resolution bioscience. On a reported basis, we are expecting a decline in the range of 1.8% to 0.3% year-on-year. From a geographic perspective, we expect modest growth in the Americas and Europe. And while we expect to see recovery during the year in China, our initial view is it will still decline for the full year. From a business group perspective, we expect growth in both DGG and ACG, while LSAG instruments will still be pressured. And in terms of phasing, we expect the first half of FY24 to look similar to the second half of FY23 with growth in the second half of next year. We are projecting modest operating margin expansion for the year. And below the line, we expect interest income and expense to offset each other, a tax rate of 13.5% and 293 million shares outstanding. Fiscal 2024 non-GAAP EPS is expected to be in a range of $5.44 to $5.55. This range represents flat to 2% growth versus FY23. From a cash flow perspective, we expect another robust year. We are expecting roughly $1.6 billion in operating cash flow and $400 million in CapEx as spending increases on NASD's trained CND expansions. Looking to Q1 2024, we expect revenue in the range of $1.555 to $1.605 billion. This represents a core decline of 11.3% to 8.5%, with currency and M&A having a minimal impact. At the midpoint, we are expecting growth that resembles what we just delivered in Q4 and assumes no significant budget flush during the end of this calendar year. This is against another difficult comp of 10% growth in Q1 of last year. First quarter 2024, non-GAAP earnings per share are expected to be between $1.20 and $1.23 as the cost savings fully ramp through the quarter. As Mike indicated, while we are expecting low growth in 2024, we remain optimistic about the future of our markets and our long-term growth prospects. Our business remains very profitable and healthy, and I know we will come out stronger as a company when market growth returns. And now I will turn the floor back over to Parmeet for your questions. Parmeet? Thanks, Bob. Bo, if you could please provide instructions for the Q&A now. Thank you, Mr. Ahuja. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone now. And if you do change your mind, please press star followed by one again to withdraw your question. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure your phone is unmuted locally. We'll go first this afternoon to Vijay Kumar at Evercore ISI. 
Hi, guys. Um, thanks for taking my question and, sure, and okay. uh, some helpful comments here, Mike. Uh, maybe starting with those uh, book-to-bill uh, comments here. Uh, overall sure. company, one turn, LSAG instrumentation looks like it's turn. Uh, curious, what those book-to-bill numbers for ex-China, and if, if instrumentation has turned, uh, that Q1 guidance, you know, comps get easier. Uh, why is Q1 assuming no benefit from this turn in, uh, in instrumentation? Yeah, hey, BJ, let me take that. Um, uh, I think if you look at the uh, the book-to-bill ratio, um, it's for LSAG instruments, it's actually very similar, both um, including China and excluding China. China was actually slightly uh, positive as well. So that's, a you know, a, a good sign. And uh, as we mentioned in the prepared remarks, you know, we're taking a prudent approach uh, to our first quarter. Um, and uh, certainly we see this as a, as a positive. We did, you know, have some. We typically do have seasonality from, you know, our Q4 to Q1, um, but uh, we're taking it uh, kind of one quarter at a time. Yeah, I think part of the big story too, VJ, is the 10% comp, uh, you know, from from last year as well. But uh, as we said it in the call, we we were it was uh, encouraging to see some initial signs of stabilization with that kind of book to bill on the instrument side. Understood. I'm glad to hear uh, prudency and, and uh, right off the bat here. We, we, uh, got that into the, we got that into the script, VJ. <laughs> uh, on, on, uh, just one more later on guidance here. Uh, what sure. are you assuming for NASD and uh, China for uh, fiscal uh, 24? Yeah, so um, for for China, we are thinking um, mid-single-digit decline uh, for the full year, so very similar. Uh, to to this year, and then for NESD, right now we're expecting uh, low single digit gro- uh, mid single digit growth. Mid singles, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Sure. Thank you. We go next now to Patrick Donnelly at City. Hey guys, Patrick. thanks for taking the questions. And Mike, um, maybe kind of a follow up on the one Q guide. You know, it seems like again the orders encouraging, you know, maybe a little bit uh, a little bit prudent on the guide, as you said. I guess when you think about just the implication for the ramp 2Q to 4Q, is it, you know, is it optimism in the market based on, you know, some of those order trends? Um, is it obviously the comps get easier in the second half as you work through it? And can you just talk about the visibility into the recovery and, and kind of what gives you the confidence in the ramp as the year progresses here? Yeah, sure, Patrick. How about if I lead off, Bob, and then you can add any additional comments you'd like to make here. But, um, you know, when we think about the, this uh, confidence around the, what, we've, what we've described as a get, gradual recovery uh, and growth, I think it's first of all important to, to remind the audience that uh, we do expect the first half of the year to um, be very much like what we saw in the second half of 23. But looking forward, why do we think that things are going to be look different in, in, the, in the second half, which is, you know, though it's initial and still early, there are some early signs of potential stabilization that you see in our order book. You know, the fact that book to bill for the company was above one, the fact that we had the same result in their instrument business, which has been the most pressured part of the company. And listen, while it's too early for customers to be confirming their, their 2024 budgets with us, let's go back to the sales phone, which is a predictor of potential growth, right? So our sales funnels continue to show a lot of interest from customers. Um, and uh, we know that at some point in time, those things will start to release. 
Um, the, the funnels are, remain healthy. Uh, and listen, an environment like this, we've seen these things before, which was, you know, healthy and, and capital spending, you know, has been constrained. Um, so some release can be expected. And, you know, we hear, uh, I don't want to get too far down my skis on this, but we hear customers talk about some new focused investments. And I think we're not, clause, we're not calling for a big, um, broad-based market recovery, but certain segments of the market are going to be better. You know, we're talking about uh, some investments in R&D tools, what's, what's going to PFAS testing capacity expansion plans we're hearing from our customers, advanced materials. And then, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Patrick, you know, there is an easier compare in second half 24 as well. Um, so we do expect this uh, return to growth, and I think it's it's not uh, this, it's not simply a hope. Um, we've got uh, some uh, information to be kind of back up our thinking there. Again, we'll know a lot better about how things look when we get to the budgeting phase with our customers in early 2024. Um, you know, again, right now the markets for capital instruments still remain quite challenged. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are seeing encouraging signs of potential stabilization, but it's going to be a journey for our return into growth. And I think our guide, guide, guide reflects that. And um, um, again, I think we're, we've got a high degree of confidence that this is what the back half of the year will look like. Yeah. Hey, and Patrick, you, you asked about uh, Q1. You know, it, it, um, uh, as, as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, I think we're more taking a prudent approach here. But we're also going up against uh, last year where we did have a budget flush. Uh, mm -hmm. It happened earlier in the year, but the, for delivery in November and December, and we're assuming that uh, we're not seeing uh, that or building that into our into our estimates. So if that happens, then uh, then that would be that would be a nice thing for all of us. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. No, that's helpful. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bob. And, and maybe, Bob, just on the margin side, you know, helpful to hear you talk through a few of the uh, different moving pieces. You know, it sounds like some cost savings in DGG, among others. I guess, can you just give a bit more color on, on kind of the moving pieces, where you're pulling some levers, you know, the, the ability to take out uh, some additional costs to hit these margin numbers? Obviously, you talked about margins being up a bit. Um, you know, I think there are some headwinds, like incentive comp, things like that. So maybe just talk about, yeah. you know, the gives and takes there and, and, and confidence in terms of some of the cost outs. Yeah, that's a great um, uh, a, a great insight there, Patrick. Yeah, because we do have some add backs. I would I would say you know that so don't take that 175 million and drop it to the bottom line because we have some resets. I would say roughly half of that um, is kind of a reset between our sales comp and, and variable pay. Um, if we think about it, it's really across the P and L. Um, I, the biggest piece actually is in DGG with the exit of the ResBio business, but we've also taken some tough decisions in other product lines to streamline the, the portfolio there. And I would say, you know, roughly um, a little over 30% of that uh, is associated with that. The other, the other 25% uh, is is really within our COGS. Um, our OFS team uh, has done a phenomenal job of of really kind of leaning into reducing our costs around logistics and material costs. And then I talked about the site consolidation as well, which, which will show up up and down the P&L. So we've, we've taken a, um, uh, a look at our real estate footprint and have actually closed uh, several smaller sites um, between um, uh, around the world, really. And then the, the, the final piece is, is really kind of infrastructure optimization, which would be discretionary spend, but then also um, headcount reductions that would be focused on areas where, you know, we've right-sized it to, to the demand. And Patrick, this might, you know, we asked earlier about the confidence about the, the, the growth recovery. I think when it comes to hitting the 175 high degree of confidence, we control this 100% and we'll deliver on this. Very helpful. Thanks, Mike and Bob. Appreciate mm -hmm. it.
Thank you. We'll go next now to Matt Sykes at Goldman Sachs. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for my questions. Sure, Matt. Um, maybe just on, on NASD, um, I know it's just over the past call it year and a half, um, we've kind of gone from high double digits to low double digits, and next year mid single digits, which is probably just some level of normalization as you ramp capacity. But just given the, the step up in CapEx you're getting to next year, is there some wiggle room in terms of how you guys lay that capacity out? Um, or is the confidence in that and market growth enough to keep you know investing in that area um, next year? Yeah, I'll jump right in on that one. So uh, I tried to make that come out in, in the script, but uh, uh, our plans to continue to invest for the, the future long-term growth as business remain, remains high. Um, we're going full steam ahead on the on the capital expansions, uh, and they're, they're tracking according to plan. In fact, I think we'll probably do a little bit better on, on, the, on the cost side when, when all said and done relative to the, the CapEx that's uh, involved. And, Bob, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the things we're seeing relative. And I think we commented on this before, but – what do we see in the marketplace relative to, you know, 2024 relative to NASD? Yeah, I think, um, Matt, it's a great question. And so if we look at the details of kind of the mix, actually, I would say we have the most healthy mix of portfolio in NASD in 24 than we've had. So a, a significant increase in the number of programs uh, that uh, we are going to have being going through. Now, it's a bigger component of clinical volume versus um, um uh, commercial volume, which I actually think bodes very well for the future going forward. We have seen, um, you know, some, um, uh, I, I would say, some pausing of, of, of certain customers as they, you know, associated with IRA, but we think that that's transitory. So as Mike said, we're not at all concerned about the, the long-term growth prospects of, of this market. And in fact, you know, many of the programs that we're seeing come into, into our um, portfolio are actually, as what we had talked about in previous calls, uh, much larger targeted patient populations, which really speaks well to, to the volume. And then, as Mike mentioned, we're actually expanding our portfolio, our technologies. And so it's not just SIRNA, but we're having the ability to continue to grow our um, CRISPR, uh, GMP-grade CRISPR um, business, as well as uh, Antisense. So we're, we're continuing to do that as well. Hey, Sam, uh, I know uh, uh, this will be your last call, but I thought it might be interesting for you to jump in here for a second. Um, you know, as part of your transition, you've been talking to a lot of our key customers, and I think, you know, we're hearing the same story from them about long-term growth, continued investment here. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I'll just add a couple of things uh, to your and, and Bob's comments. Uh, one, uh, we are now on contract with more major pharma uh, than than we ever have been, uh, and it's very promising. If you look at publicly the percentage of their overall R&D budgets that they're now spending on therapeutic oligos, and we are in the driver's seat uh, to, to win those opportunities. And just in the last couple of weeks alone, I, I've spoken with a number of our lead uh, pharma partners, and they've reaffirmed, though there's a slight uh, navigation through the uh, the IRA, as Bob mentioned, that the conviction for, on their end of the market potential remains unchanged, and, and we are in the leadership position to pursue that. Thanks, Sam. Got it. That's that's great. Uh, great amount of detail. Thank you. Um, maybe just Bob for you, just on pricing, um, kind of what's embedded um, for next year as you think about pricing, and and how is pricing kind of trended over the course of this year? Are we back to sort of normalized levels of pricing that you guys have historically achieved, or is there still some um, pricing gains to to, to see sort of uh, as we move into next year in certain areas of your business? 
Yeah, hey Matt, that's a great question, and and we um, we ended the Q4 at just a little under three percent, and actually for the full year was greater than that. So it actually continues to be hold up hold up very well. What we're building into our plan for next year is is roughly two percentage points of uh, of price which, as you know, is, is greater than our historical kind of pre-COVID levels. And, and so what we've been able to do, I think, is really speaks to the value of uh, the value proposition that we have, as well as the emerging mix of our businesses um, as well. Thank you. Thank you. We go next now to Rachel Battenstall at J.P. Morgan. Great. Good afternoon, and thanks for taking the questions. So first up, I just want to ask on China. You know, you mentioned that the region was down 30% this quarter. That was in line with your expectations. You're expecting it to decline mid-singles again next year. So I guess just how much of a function is that really due to some of the comps and starting to lap the, you know, easier comps late into next year versus um, is there any, anything structurally wrong with that market, and how do you expect China to continue to grow on that medium to long term? You want to take the first part, Bob? I think it's so. Uh... Yeah, yeah. So, I, um, well, I, I think um, from the standpoint of the the comps, what we would see is obviously if you looked at what we did in the first half of this this year, we had uh, very strong growth, and then we we're going up against extremely difficult comparisons this year. I mean, uh, as as I mentioned, we were down forty uh, up forty four percent in Q four of last year, so down thirty one percent this year. We're still up, you know, over the two years. And um, as we think about this, um, similar to the rest of the kind of the guide, we're expecting kind of um, declines in, in the mid-20s in, in Q1 and getting better from there. And uh, some of that, it will be an easier comp. And I'm sure Mike will talk a little bit more about this, but we don't think, see anything structurally changing in, in, the, uh, in the Chinese marketplace for life science tools. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. So I want to pick up from there. So I made a few comments about this in the, in the uh uh, prepared remarks, but I made my first uh, trip to uh, China since uh, October 2019 uh, when we were there for the BCIA show. And, uh, you know, what did I see? First of all, I saw, I was just reminded how quickly things can happen uh, in China. Um, electric vehicles everywhere, a lot more green. You know, digital, digital op- adoption was just amazing. I don't think anybody uses cash there anymore. Uh, and then it, it also reminded as you travel around the country just how big a country is, how big the economy is, and how big big the markets are for, for life sciences. But uh, to your, your specific question, here's what I was hearing from, from customers and my team and what I was seeing as well, which was why do we think this market eventually will return to, to growth? Um, you know, all the things that have been driving this market over the years, which is primarily the, the Chinese government's 14 five-year plan, these, they're, still, they're still on it. Um, they're pointing to long-term growth, you know, you know proving the uh, quality of life in, in, in China. We're hearing stories of new environmental regs coming from PFAS. Um, the anti-corruption impacts that we've seen in the health and pharma, the pharma space look to may have peaked with a lot of the actions uh, occurring, uh, which could ultimately long-term lead to more R&D investments because there'll be less money being spent in, in the SGA area. But uh, I don't want to be too um, uh, short-term optimistic about, you know, this expansion of growth because the business is bouncing along at a certain level. Um, and that's why we, we call it stabilization in, in our in our uh, prepared remarks. So what we're seeing, what we're forecasting, what, what uh, we're hearing is from our teams and our customers don't expect any significant new near-term improvements, or don't expect any significant near-term deterioration either. 
Uh, and I think that's why when you look at the year-to-year numbers in terms of the growth rate, Bob, it's probably a, a comp, compare, yeah. compare issue. But um, we've had a couple months now of the business running at a certain level, and that gives us the sense that, you know, well, we, I think we use the word potential signs of stabilization. So I um, hope that helps. Yeah, no, that's helpful, caller. Um, and then I just wanted to dig a little bit more on your comments around next year. So you mentioned that you expect the first half to be similar to what you're seeing in the back half of this year. So I guess, can you just walk us through in a little bit more detail what exactly you mean by that? Should we be expecting similarities from an organic growth perspective, or are you really talking about more from a revenue dollar standpoint? And then same type of question on the trajectory of the rebound on margins and EPS next year. Should we expect, you know, kind of that similar ramp given the cost dynamic as well? Yeah, I think if um, I'll, I'll try to answer uh, all, all that in, um, in in short order, Rachel. As we think about the the first uh, first half of the year, yeah, we think that we you know as we look at our business, you know, and, uh, and look at that kind of book to bill, we kind of troughed in Q2. Um, Q3, I think we mentioned actually was a little better. It was less than still less than one, and then Q4 uh, continued to improve. And our expectation is that uh, that that kind of performance will continue. Now we're going up against difficult comps when we were actually bleeding down our inventory. And that particularly happened in Q1 and Q2 of last year as we were talking about it. And so I would expect us to have the the trough in in Q of of 24 being Q1, Q2 being a little better and then growing out of that as we benefit from the easier compares. And I would expect our um, our P&L and the EPS to look very similar to that. Um, Q1, we we are um, we've taken uh, most of the actions there. They will have uh, all been taken in in the first uh, first uh, first quarter, but they won't have a full quarter. And so we'll have full quarters of the cost savings in Q through Q2 through Q4. And uh, so as that business kind of kind of improves, as the business improves, you know, we'll get more and more leverage on, on the bottom line. Thank you. Moving on now to Derek DeBruin at Bank of America. Um, hi, good afternoon. Sure. Good Derek. afternoon, Derek. Hi. So can we talk a little bit about pharma, um, you know, your the, that market was up and down all year, um, you know, not a lot of visibility. Are you seeing some of the, you know, the, the, the orders that were sort of stuck in the funnel starting to come loose, right? I mean, how are you sort of looking at the pharma market going forward? Yeah, for Borg, I think the answer, I think the answer is the, the deal funnel still remain elongated. So, yeah, I yeah. think what we see from our, our funnels is that they're, they're growing, but but the velocity in, in closing deals from from uh, from the point of uh, funnel to order is still is still static on that side, and elongated. Yeah, and hey, Derek, I think if we think about uh, the the uh, pharma end market, we're assuming very low single digit growth for for next year, and um, some of that is actually uh, you know getting past the tougher comps in in China. If we looked at actually. Uh, our pharma business X China we grew in in, um, mm-hmm. in FY23, and actually our biopharma business grew in total. Um, and we think about small molecule was the area that uh, you know was dragging uh, the the pharma business down. You know, as you know very well, that's it typically has a, a replacement cycle. We are well into that replacement cycle. We were up very high. We kept calling it, um, and. Uh, 
we've seen that be very depressed, and our expectation is that'll start coming back, you know, in earnest in 24, but probably in the back half of 24. So, so this goes. To, I, I'm sorry to beat this up, but but you know, your shiny you've got going down. Pharma, you just basically said you've got not you don't have a ton of visibility. You hope that things are come back. I'm just not sure. I'm curious why you didn't put a little bit more cushion in the guy um, like that. It just feels like it still feels like it's a little bit. It still feels like it's a little back end. Well, it's not a little. It's a lot back end heavy given where we are sort of on the cycle. Yeah, I, I think as we said earlier, Derek, there's there's reason to believe that. Uh, not only do you have the, the comps working in our favor for, for the second half, there's real, um, we're, and we know that um, uh, customers want, there's interest in the products, and I think they've got to step, and by the way, we're not calling for this miracle snapback in 2024, yeah. but we're also saying not saying that small molecules can continue to decline 20, 30% kind of numbers we're seeing this year. Uh, particularly, that's where the pressure's been. But we know we know that um, uh, biopharma, there's, they need some tools for R&D. Uh, we know that you know, these replacement cycles only last can only be held up for so long. So there's 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 a confidence relative to what we see in the funnels. Deals aren't coming out of the funnel. Uh, and then, although we are focusing here on on pharma right now in this commentary. There's a lot of other strength in some of the other secular markets and applied markets in particular, which is uh, which is a nice diversification we have on the instrument side as well. And, and Bob, I don't know if there's any additional thoughts on the on the pharma story. No. Yeah. Okay. And just one final one. Just what were bookings? I mean, I know you said the book to bill was greater than one, but I'm just curious in terms of bookings. And, and do you often see a spike in bookings in Q4? Basically, I'm just trying to get the sense of like what you saw as a head fake or you know, you've, you've got where you think you've got real demand here. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, we don't give the absolute dollars other than to say it was greater than one. It was one, roughly one for the total company, and then instruments were higher. Typically, we do see a Q4 where um, it is higher. Um, so this kind of goes back to kind of our historical um, uh, performance where orders um, are, are a little higher, particularly because we have October in, in our, our in our results, and so last year was actually um, a, uh, a aberration, so to speak, as we we're working down the backlog, um, and this kind of gets back to our normal process. Yeah, and, and through the quarter, Derek, we saw our normal seasonality. Yep. So there wasn't anything unusual about the order order pattern to kind of say, is this a head fake or not? So I think that also was one of the reasons why. You know, we say okay. Uh, early signs of some stabilization here. Again, yeah. Yeah. not not huge growth. We're saying stabilization. Correct. Right. Thanks. Sure. Thank you. We we'll go next now to Jack Meehan at Nephron Research. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, so, wanted to dig a little bit more into LSAG in the quarter. Could you break down? Uh, the growth between instruments and consumables, and just any commentary across product lines? Yeah, everything I would say um, for the quarter was was pressured, um, although consumables performed better than uh, the, the instrumentation. Our consumables business was down, uh, you know, kind of uh, low single digits and against a very tough comp of, of of uh, almost 9%, 10%. And if you looked at it ex-China, that was largely influenced by China. We grew low single digits in, in consumables. Okay. 
Okay. And yeah. so does that imply instruments maybe down over 20% in the quarter? They were down, yes. Okay. Yeah, and I guess maybe just to follow up on Derek's question, you know, I think everybody's trying to think about the right way to interpret this book-to-bill commentary, but just, uh, you know, it, is there any additional color you can share on the magnitude? You know, were orders down in the quarter? I guess just trying to understand because there was an easy or a difficult comp on revenue, like our orders kind of more, you know, don't have a similar level of volatility. You know, it should have mathematically been over one, right? Yeah, so the the orders were down year on year, but obviously down not as much as, as revenue uh, was down year on year. And uh, so when we look at it, you know, I think that kind of shows, though, the stabilization because we had, you know, some pretty significant um, uh, revenue last year because of the um, um, uh, recovery in the um, uh, first Shanghai uh, Shanghai shutdown. So I don't, I don't think that that we actually think that this is the the best way to kind of look at it on a mm -hmm. go forward basis because we don't have the play uh, of the backlog happening uh, much anymore. And so actually, as we look at it on a quarterly basis, we've seen a nice steady progression up back to historical numbers. And, and Jack, I think it's fair to say, Bob, that one of the things we were uh, conscious of was a lot of commentary about how significantly things were getting in terms of being worse. And as you know, mm -hmm. we've been out for some time calling for no year-end budget flush, constrained capital environment. Um, we came to the year actually guiding for slower growth in the second half. So what we're trying to intimate in the call today is, you know, what we've been saying for the last several quarters is exactly what we're seeing right now. And I thought we thought a proof point was the book to bill, which said, listen, mm -hmm. listen, it's it's not great out there in terms of robust growth, but the sky is also not falling either. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate all the color. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. We'll go next now to Puneet Suda at Lyric Partners. Uh, yeah, hi, Mike, Mike, Bob. Thanks for taking the questions. And, sure. Um, yeah, Phil, good to have you see there. Um, first one on CrossLab. Um, Bob, with 65% um, of your business being in service contracts, could you elaborate on, on what sort of growth contribution we should expect here for full year, and also, I don't know if you provided the um, LSAG expectation contribution for um, uh, 2024 as well. Yeah, for a ACG, uh, we're expecting kind of mid-single-digit growth as we are um, it, you know, with the contracted services piece being double-digit, but then being pressured by the, the instrumentation. So that'll be, down, that'll be moderated. And for um, the LSAG business, Right now, we're looking at kind of low single-digit decline. Uh, again, with a greater decline in the first half of the year and the return uh, to better performance in the second half of the year. Got it. Okay. Um, and then on, um, if I could ask a little bit on um, semi-onshoring, that's a point that you're pointing, that's not something you have focused on in prior calls. Um, and I hear you. Um, that you're going on, growing on the P, uh, you know, PFAS side, but just wanted, could could you elaborate a little bit on both um, semi onshoring as well as the environmental gains that you're having, and why shouldn't that contribute more to your instrumentation, you know, growth in 2024? 
Yeah, it has the potential to do that. Um, and uh, as we talked about it, it, we're at the beginning of the year, and so we want to be prudent there. But there's nothing out there that doesn't say that that should continue, uh, given the, the macro and economic environment and the incentives that governments are providing to continue to invest. Uh, you know, and actually what we're seeing is, um, you know, nice business in, in Southeast Asia as well as uh, India and uh, I, I would expect that to uh, continue. That's where we're placing, you know, incremental uh, investments to continue to drive and, and, and capture that demand. I would expect the same thing uh, in the environmental area as well. Um, but uh, we're not going to build all of that in right now at the beginning of the year. Probably I think we saw some trends, too, that we're starting to see, which is PFAS is also now driving some testing in the food, food marketplace as well as every country that we talk to is in, in the process of, of further enhancing their own regs. So, um, you know, we wanted to have some other areas of potential growth for the company beyond the story around pharma. Okay. Got it. Okay. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're going to next now to Josh Waldman at Cleveland Research. Hey, thanks for taking my questions. Um, maybe one for Bob and then one for Mike. Um, Bob, maybe circling back on Derek's question, I wondered if you could provide more context on the forecasting process this round or the puts and takes that went into the organic guys. I mean, as you take a step back, were there uh, segments in the business that were like decelerating or slowing as you went into the guide or, or maybe areas where you're still trying to find bottom? And, and if so, how did you reflect that in the guide? Yeah, obviously this this year has been uh, one for the ages in terms of being able to try to ma um, manage uh, the forecasting. And uh, so we've taken a number of different angles at it to look at it. So not only growth rates, which I think is the, the, the focus here, but also actually um, if you looked at it on a sequential basis um, and, and looked at the actual dollars, I think that that's probably more um, instructive. Uh, particularly as we were looking at the uh, the um, uh, the bleeding of the inventory, I would say what we've seen over the last couple of uh, quarters is that signs of stabilization. Uh, there are always puts and takes across across the various businesses, and uh, we think that we've tried to do that. We've built in uh, feedback based on the on the fields projections, the funnel that uh, Mike and Porig talked about, and then a you know an assumption around the conversion of those um, uh, funnels. And uh, we haven't seen uh, the funnels um, slow down. Um, there's still modest growth, but, and we're starting to see uh, the slowing of the elongation. I'm not saying that it's, it's stopped or accelerated in terms of the purchase, uh, but we are starting to see that slowing, and you're actually seeing that in, the, in that book to bill. And when we look at the orders, um, you know, on a sequential basis, we're starting to see that kind of um, uh, stabilization as well. And, and so that's kind of how we're looking at continuing to go forward. If you kind of just built that going into next year, you would start seeing, you know, challenging first half and then better performance in the second half. Hopefully that gives Got you it. some flavor. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's helpful. And that was actually going to be my follow-up. Maybe, I don't know, Bob or Mike, if you want to take it. Sure. I was curious if you could – maybe quantify where the funnel stands entering 24 versus maybe, you know, where it typically is entering a year and just how correlative or how, how much do you think it is a predictor of near-term demand? I mean, is that 
is better funnel conversion at all kind of part of what drives the improvement as you progress through the year? Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're I think we're assuming pork uh, and Bob kind of the same same rates, right? No no significant improvement. Correct. Yeah, yeah we're going up against. Um, you know, the first half of this year, actually, what you saw was the, the elongation of those cycle times. And yes. so what we're seeing right now is kind of, uh, like I said, it's not necessarily fully stable, but it's not decline or increasing at the rate that we saw at the first and, and second quarters of last year. And so you're starting to see that. And so all things being equal, that conversion is actually improving slightly versus year ago. Um, it's still not back to historical numbers. Um, and uh, that's what we're trying to handicap here as as we look at our our forecast going forward. Okay, All right. appreciate it, Gus. Sure. sure, thanks, Josh. Thank you. We'll go next now to Daniel Brennan at Calvin. Great, thanks for uh, taking the questions, guys. Um, maybe just on China. I know you mentioned I think in the prepared remarks, like month to month pacing had improved in the quarter. Just any more color, anything on exit rates in China? And if you could, I'd be interested to get like some more color on like the end market trends in China. I know you you gave some color on, you know, biopharma, but could you discuss pharma overall and any other interesting color from an end market basis? Sure, Bob. Uh, we maybe we'll tag team on this, which was, I think, the uh, relative to the order book, I think we were slightly above revenue for the quarter. No really unusual pacing uh, uh, through the quarter from China. Um, you know, we've, we've been calling, um, I know a lot of our conversation today has been about uh, pharma, but uh, we've been saying for some quarters overall for China, it's been a broad-based slowdown. Um, and, and, and that's what the business has been, and that's how we ended the year uh, in terms of uh, the end market performance. I will say that, um, you know, we, we were – Pleased that we were in line with our expectations for for the business. So again, we we, we described earlier that the the business was moving along uh, at a certain overall overall level. I think we um, we do have a, um, a view of China that we will still be down uh, in terms of, uh, of of the revenue for the for the year, uh, but you know reflective of where we are, where we're seeing the business right now. So. Um, Hey, Dan, uh, and to build on Mike's point, uh, just a couple of other additional data points. Uh, you know, we were we were down um, uh, pretty uh, pretty significantly in all all end markets in Q4, as you would expect, because we were up 44 uh, percent uh, in Q Q4 of of 22, um, and so that's probably not as relevant because uh, we were catching up relative to some of the the catch up of the uh, Shanghai shutdown. Uh, another data point, though, is if we looked at kind of year-on-year growth, um, actually we exited uh, October. The year-on-year performance, it was still a decline, but it was much better than what we saw at the beginning of the quarter. Um, and so we actually saw sequential improvement. I think Mike mentioned that in his prepared remarks. And then if we looked at kind of absolute dollars, they've been pretty steady month on month. Got it. Thanks for that. And, and then, you know, chemical and advanced material, it was like a tale of two cities. It looks like, you know, CNE was down 15 in the quarter, you said, and you talked a lot about PFAS. And so, so, so does any more call like what you're seeing on kind of both sides of the coin there, you know, what, what's, what's kind of baked in on the scene, you know, on the core chemical and energy side for the year and just anything on trends there. Um, and then obviously it sounds like you guys still remain really constructive on the applied material side. 
or, or the yeah, advancement to side, excuse me. So how about Bob, I'll just lead here with a few few comments and then uh, uh, I've been dying to pull pull Phil in on here as well. Maybe talk about some of the some of the things he's seen on the advanced materials side, which is uh, a real area of, of expertise for himself. Uh, but I think you I think your word of tale of two cities is, is really quite appropriate, both in terms of breakout by segment, also by by geography. Bob, I think we posted seventy percent growth, if I remember correctly, in China last year. Right. So I mean that's that's a tough comp. I don't care who you are, uh, but um, we're seeing you know uh, continued slowness. Um, on the CNE side, our, our major customers here are really conservative in terms of their deployment of capital. Many of our largest customers are on cost control, um, uh, so that's been that's that's what you're seeing reflected in the numbers, and that's why we're you know we we, set, we expect a constrained outlook on that side of the business for a while. The different story on the advanced materials, and I think Bob, you pointed to um, you know good growth geographically, globally, you know outside of China. Uh, and then, and then uh, Phil, I know you and your team got a whole bunch of initiatives around the applied markets, particularly uh, not only PFAS, but um, advanced materials. And I thought it was a good opportunity for me to introduce you to the audience and have you uh, share your perspective on what we're doing on the applied, uh, on the advanced materials side. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, and yes, yeah, certainly we've, we've mentioned that you've talked around uh, uh, the activity within labs being uh, uh, ex-China, at least being reasonably robust. but. Uh, on the applied on the uh, applied market side, and certainly around advanced materials, uh, we're certainly uh, relatively strong in those markets, and we're seeing we're seeing good, um, uh, really good generation around the batteries market, uh, and of course we've spoken about the onshoring uh, process around there in uh, in the advanced materials area. So globally, that also uh, obviously comes into the. Uh, into the onshoring and, and globally we're in strong positions in those markets and have been historically and continue to innovate strongly around those uh, those markets and stay close to those customers. Thanks. Thanks, Phil, and, and welcome. Thank you. We go next now to Dan Leonard at UDS. Uh, thank you. I wanted to circle back for a moment on the Q1 guide. You spoke about a challenging year-on-year -year comp a couple of times, but as you're thinking about the Q4 to Q1 sequential ramp in dollars, you know how much of that decline forecasted is is what you'd chalk up to seasonality versus prudent. If if you could you know, give us a flavor. <laughs> That's, that's um, a great question, Bob. <laughs> yeah, 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 Dan. That's a great question. If you looked at last year, um, and uh, we, you know, our our revenue went down roughly ninety million dollars, ninety ninety five million dollars, um, from an extremely strong Q4 to you know also a very strong Q1. You know, if you look at the midpoint of the guide, it's it's a little over a hundred and five hundred and ten million dollars. So. There is an element of looking at what we did last year. Again, not assuming a you know a strong budget. I don't I don't want to kind of parse it out uh, to give you a, a percent, but that kind of at least gives you kind of how we were thinking about the Q1 guide relative to what we saw in Q1 of uh, of last year. Appreciate that. And then uh, as a follow up, can you remind me in 2024 when do we lap the headwinds on the genomics side, and what is your appetite for continued investment in genomics as, as part of the DGG portfolio? Yeah, I would expect us to. Uh, we will have a difficult Q1, um, 
and then starting to get better uh, from Q, Q2 and beyond, uh, not dissimilar from the rest of, uh, you know, some of the businesses. Um, and then I'll, I'll let Mike talk about the kind of the investment. Yeah, I think it's first of all, just to remind the audience, when we talk about a genomics business, what are we talking about? We've got a $500 million business, probably 50% of it's in QAQC instrumentation, where we are the undisputed leader here. A lot of appetite to invest here. Our tape station product, uh, particularly the consumables business, is, is, is on fire right now. Capital side is constrained. Uh, as as we've seen across the marketplace, and then um, I think we all believe in the uh, uh, view that NGS will continue to be uh, a growth market for us uh, and for the industry. Uh, I think that people are dialing back their expectations about how robust it is for for a period of time, and I think we're seeing that in our business. So uh, why do we make some of the structure changes we made on the portfolio? Because we want to ensure that we, we've got the ability to have a healthy P&L while at the same point in time investing in growth. So there's a reallocation of R&D dollars happening as a result of some of the changes we've made uh, that we talked about over the call. So answer the story is we have a lot of appetite for focused investments in areas where we think we can win in genomics. Thank you. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have for questions this afternoon. I'd like to turn things back to you, Mr. Ahuja, for any closing comments. Thanks, Bo, and thanks, everyone, for joining the call today. With that, we would like to end the call. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude the Agilent Technologies Q4 2023 earnings call.